Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, let's read the the scriptures that kind of guide our thinking as we approach uh, the passage that we're going to study today. Let's read. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. You know, as a, as a parent, I er- learned early on that, that, uh, you know, we're, we're given the responsibility to raise our kids and, uh, in such a way that we can kind of direct them to the right things, right? We want them to, to fall in love with Jesus. We want them to, to be a follower of the Lord and all that. And we, we hope that that all works, right? Sometimes our best efforts to get the kids going in the right direction doesn't seem like it pans out, you know? And so we struggle a little bit with that. And, uh, you know, uh, who was it? Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody, right? Um, you know, you're going to serve one thing or you're going to serve another thing. And uh, I, I have to just admit in front of you all that I failed miserably as a parent on one issue. My kids like the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, those are pretty, those are pretty, pretty weak claps there, guys, you know. Me, I was raised right. I was raised a Giants fan, okay. Just just telling you. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, all right, We, we can talk later, okay, we can talk later. The, the truth is, you know, sadly, I don't have control over my kids' choices. And none of us do. And um, Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four, No one can serve two masters. For one, you will hate. Uh, you will hate one and, the, and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, um, there are many things that vie for our attention these days. Time, devotion, uh, we get stretched in lots of different directions. But Jesus warned, uh, gave this warning in the context uh, of this passage about money. And more accurately, uh, I think he talks about not just money, but riches in general. The things that we have that we have a lot of. And uh, he is really saying here that um, one of the biggest dangers we face when it comes to competing with our dedication and our service to God is the stuff that we have because we're rich. Okay? The stuff we have because we're rich. Because money buys stuff. It buys things. It, it, uh, it buys experiences. 
Um, money supplies the means to purchase what promises to give us a good life, pleasure, comfort, security, and even the attention that we so strongly desire, the desire to be loved and accepted by others, right? Money has the potential to get us in the position to buy those experiences, to buy those things, to attract other people. And it can be a dangerous thing. Now, how do we deal with this? Um, Ultimately, uh, even though money has the power to corrupt, God provides resources to us. And if we can manage that in such a way so that God is the one we are serving, money and even riches can serve the kingdom of God. But you can't really serve both entities. You can't serve both God and money. That's what Jesus is saying. And this is very similar to the situation in Judges. If you've got your Bible and you want to open your Bible or your Bible app, um, to judges, and we're in chapter 10 today, uh, starting at verse 6, it says this, again, that's a theme, right? Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and they served the images of Baal and Ashereth and the god of Aram and Sidon and Moab, Ammon and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. That is quite a statement, isn't it? This is the God of their ancestors that they knew and delivered them time and time and time again. And it says that they no longer served him at all. Verse 7. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. And the Israelites were in great distress. Now, that phrase, God turned them over, turned them over. Uh, Another way to say it is that he sold them into the hands of the enemies. It's kind of play on the situation, right? He, He gave them over to their enemies, and in essence, what he was saying is this. The things that you serve will start to control you. If you're going to serve these foreign gods, the foreign gods are going to be in charge. And all of these countries that serve these foreign gods that are listed here, those are the ones now that were enslaving the Israelites. So the idol we serve enslaves us. This is the intent of of us leading us to repentance. God basically says this to us. We, We don't have idols that we would name like, you know, Baal and all the others that are listed there. But we have things that we are so devoted to that it supersedes our devotion to Christ. And we get so enmeshed in the, the way of the world and we, we're, we're working so hard to get money, to buy things, to have an experience or to have comfort or to have security, to have success, that 
there are consequences that actually come with that devotion to those things. You devote yourself to loving a team, and that team is bound to disappoint you at some point. So you live with the consequences of being a fan that everybody makes fun of, right? I mean, insert team name, right? But we pour ourselves into this and then we, then we suffer grief because of the loss. Right? I mean, so much so that we, we'll just flip out. We'll get angry. That happens on all fronts. What you put your money into. You buy this house and then it becomes a money pit. Right? And then you're, you're serving, you're working so hard to serve this thing that was supposed to give you so much pleasure, so much joy. So there are all these things. And, and even Jesus, he says, you know, all those things people run after. You know, clothing and food and fun and all that stuff. And he says, God knows you need Things to survive. You need clothes. You need something to eat. You need a place to live. He'll provide that stuff, but you have to keep things in the right order. What are you really serving? What is in first place is what we're getting at here today. And, and what's interesting when it, when it says God gave them over or sold them into slavery to these idols, it was for the purpose not of punishment, but of redemption. God is always a God of love. And he knows that we can get our eyes focused so strongly on something to make us comfortable, to make us happy, to give us this, this euphoria that we're longing for, the love that we, we want and, and expect from other people or things. And we, and we understand that. And God says, you know what? If you think that thing is going to give you your happiness, I'm going to... Let you go there. You see, he gave them over. And so if we do invest our time, our effort, our energy, all of our resources into that thing, there are going to be natural consequences for serving that thing. And in this case, when they were serving the the foreign gods, then those foreign gods were the people that were serving them. They were the ones who were now in charge over and oppressing the Israelites. You know, Paul uh, actually talks about this um, in in several places in the New Testament. So we're going to flip over here to Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 24. It says this, Paul says, They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Verse 23 says this, And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. See, God said, if you're going to not worship me and you're going to worship all these other things that you think are going to give you what you want, I'm going to give you over to those things. I'm going to let you go ahead. You, want, you think that's going to give you what you want and what you need? 
he gives them over to these things that they desired so much. Right? Their hearts desired. The shameful things their hearts desired. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5 said this. Paul said, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. And he was talking about uh, a man who was actually um, sleeping with his father's wife. Okay. And he says, you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship and hand him over to Satan so that this sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. You see, the intent there of God still is redemption. Okay. In other words, give this man over to what he wants, but put him out of your fellowship. Don't let him have the, the, the time and, and, the, and the opportunity to taint others in the same way that he is living. But the purpose is so that when he's outside of the fellowship of God, when he's outside of the church, he'll realize what he's missing. Right? And, and while he's doing his thing out there, there's going to be consequences, natural consequences that will happen that will drive him back to God, hopefully. That's always the, the point of discipline is that God wants us to, to, to experience what we think is going to give us fun, what we think is going to give us a, of this fantastic life. Everything the world says, yeah, go ahead if you, you think that's what you want and what you need, but understand there's going to be consequences. And hopefully those consequences will open your eyes to what real love what real acceptance is with God, right? How much God loves you in comparison to what you think loves you. Here's another one. Second Timothy 2, 25-26 says this. And note how he starts. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Uh, the way it was explained to me one time, and, and it really got to me because um, I, I, I don't like it when people try to control me. You know, I think, man, I'm, I'm kind of stubborn that way. You know, I want to feel like nobody is, is kind of manipulating me. That's what Satan does. Satan loves to get in and manipulate our thinking and cause us to do what he wants us to do that is going to bring havoc and destruction, right? I don't know if anybody else besides me has ever gone down that path where you were going after something that you thought was going to be, you know, the cat's pajamas. Somebody else explained that to somebody, right? But, um, you know, it was going to be the greatest thing on planet Earth and, and you pursuing it and then you realize you get into it and you go, this is not as good as I thought it was going to be. Right? And then you're thinking, how, do I, how did I get here and how do I get out? It could be into a relationship. It could be buying something that was way beyond your means that now you have to take a loss on to get out of the contract. Right? We, we've been there. We've done some of those things. And so, so God is saying, 
I want you to understand that there are going to be natural cause and effect consequences to the things that we choose to do that we think are going to bring us joy and pleasure and happiness, sometimes security. And we get into it and we realize, oh, I am in over my head. Okay? Well, God provides a way out, right? And one of the things that really helped me to move away from doing those kind of things is because I realized that it was actually Satan's trick to get me to go there. And that kind of made me mad, you know? And, and, and what's really interesting is that there, there are places in Scripture that says that we need to be angry about sin. It's okay to get a little bit mad the fact that you've got somebody named Satan who's trying to trick you into not being able to experience the love and the joy and the acceptance and the forgiveness that God offers. Okay? And so we need to finally come to the place to where we not only want to be freed from the consequences of our own sin, like the Israelites, what happens is they get oppressed for 18 years because of their choice to not serve the one true God, but to serve other gods. And remember, all these gods, they had names and they had they had things that they were in charge of, like the weather or sexuality or whatever it is, finance. And, and so you would serve that God in order to be blessed by their particular arena, Right. And so here we are now, we, we, we're doing that in a modern way. Well, if I hang out with this crowd and I do these things, I'm going to experience this blessing personally, right? If I spend my money on this or that, I'm going to have this experience that's going to make me feel good or make me feel secure or whatever it is. And God says, okay, there are consequences. But then what we have to do is we have to say, is... Is is coming back to God just simply a way of getting out of the consequence? And that's essentially what we see with judges over and over and over again. What happens is they, they, they do their own thing. They don't serve the one true God. They serve all these other gods. And then the consequences come. They're oppressed by these foreign nations of the gods that they're serving, right? And they come in, and here it is now, 18 years later, and they say, God, help us. What are they really saying? Are they saying, God, we love you? We know that you love us? They're saying, get us out of this problem. Right? And sadly, that's where so many of us are. We use God as a tool to help relieve our suffering. That we got ourselves into. Right? And here we see an, an interesting shift in the way the, uh, the people respond to this oppression. In verse 10 uh, of, uh, of Judges 10 here, go back to Judges. It says, finally, they cried out to the Lord for help, saying, we have what? We have sinned against you because we have abandoned you as our God and have served the images of Baal. Now the Lord replied, did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Ammonites, the, the Amorites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amal- Amalekites, the Maonites, uh, 
when they oppress you, you cried out to me for help. You get that? You catch that? You cried out to me for help. You didn't cry out to me for me. There's a difference. There's a big difference. So here, they're crying out to God for help, right? So God names it. And he says, and I rescued you. He is a gracious God. He, he helps when he, he, we don't deserve it. It's called grace, right? Mercy. And then he says in verse 13, yet you have abandoned me and served other gods. Now here's a shift. So I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. Now, does that seem harsh? Now, keep in mind, God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He wants them to come back. But what he sees here now is he finally names it. He said, you don't really want me. You just want relief. Okay? And you understand that I have the power, and I've proven in the past that I have rescued you. Time and time and time and time again. And he names all the times and all the different people groups that had oppressed Israel over and over and over again. This is a big cycle, people. Are you ever going to realize? And he says, nope, I'm not going to rescue you this time. And here's a major point, right? That there's a difference between crying out to God because of the distress that comes as a result of our own sin. It's different than true repentance. And it's different than really wanting God. Right? In the New Testament, when we, we see the, you know, the, the end of times comes up and, and here we have um, these people that, that are talking to God. It's the great judgment. And these people say, didn't we do all these things in your name? What, what, what's the response to the evil people? He says, he says go away, you evildoers. I never knew you. See, they, they thought they were earning their way by pleasing God, by doing the things that God said to do, but they never really were very interested in a relationship with God. And that's really the key. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is to restore a relationship with us and God, Right? He wants his people, he wants us to know him, to experience him, to love him and to be loved by him. That should be the center of our relationship with God. Not just that God can can forgive us and then wash away the consequences of the sin. Right? There's a big difference here. So verse 15 goes on, it says... But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, we have sinned. They finally look at what they're doing. And instead of just wanting relief from their oppressors, they really recognize that they have sinned. And then here it is. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. 
Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord, and he was grieved by their misery. Very interesting. That there is this this shift that, that God finally wanted them to realize. See, they asked for relief from the consequences of their sin, their waywardness. And he said, I'm no longer going to, to rescue you from that. You're going to suffer from the consequences. And then they realized, oh, it's better to be in relationship with God and be disciplined by God than to be left by myself and the consequences. Right? Um, there was a point in, in our family life that, that uh, our son went off the rails a little bit. And uh, and we we could kind of sense there was some stuff going on, and uh, and so finally he got in trouble. Okay, don't need to describe all the trouble, but he he finally got to the place to where he came home confessed a lot of stuff. It was tough, and we said, okay, um, here's the deal. Uh, we love you. We forgive you. You know, we we can't help but forgive because God has forgiven us. Um, but we would like to have you come home. You can live here, but if you stay here, there's going to be a different set of rules, right? Okay. And, and we've had this conversation with, with him many times after. He has thanked us for being willing to forgive us, uh, forgive him, but at the same time, thankful for the restrictions and the guidelines and everything that we put in place after that. And he found it was much better to live where someone loves you and even disciplines you to kind of help you be who you want to be than it is to be out there on your own and to suffer the consequences for your choices. And so the Israelites finally got to that place where they finally realized that it is better to be in relationship with God and to accept whatever consequence he says is going to happen, whatever punishment that they that God says I deserve, I'm willing to take it because it's better for me to get a spanking from God than to get a spanking from, from those guys out there. Is that an okay way to say it? Because I know God is the one who loves me. And I'd rather be a part of a church family that, that helps set me straight when I'm not going the right direction. Because I know that's coming from love. Okay? But if I'm out there on my own, they don't love you. They're users. Right? And so the consequences out there, who knows what's going to happen to you? Right. So it, it, it's it just is an Old Testament way of painting a picture for a very common theme that we realize today. And and if you, I guess, want the best best look at it, it's first John uh, one eight through ten. It says this. If we claim we have no sin. We're only fooling ourselves, it says, and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and he's just and will continue to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, all our wickedness, right? If we claim we have not sinned, 
we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. But if if we confess our sins, it says God is faithful. And the way that the construction of the verse is simple, it's basically uh, put in this present perfect tense. It says it's some it's an ongoing process. Okay, you do it now, but you realize you're never going to stop doing it. Okay. I, I know myself too well. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail again and probably again and again, just like the, the judges, right? Again and again and again and again. And it's like, when are you gonna stop doing this, Porter? You know? Probably never. But if I keep doing it, then I gotta keep confessing too. This is never gonna be the last time I'm gonna confess. And, and confession is not just feeling sorry for yourself. When the consequences come for the dumb things you choose, right? It's truly repenting. It's understanding that the, that thing I did was wrong. Okay, a lot of a lot of us they don't really we, we see sin as kind of a gray area. It's not really right or wrong. It's just a choice, you know. And there are consequences that come, and suddenly you say, "Okay, God, you know, forgive me." But what we're really saying is, "Don't slam me for what I did," right? So hopefully remove the consequences and then I can go on. But the real answer for us all is to learn what confession really is. First and foremost, it's recognizing that if we've chosen something that's out of sync with the way God planned us to live and relate with, with him and each other, that we have to name it as wrong. That's the first step. The second step is that we then recognize along with God that that sin is forgivable. And in fact, it has been forgiven if you embrace that forgiveness that God provides through Jesus on the cross. He died to forgive us of all of our sins. And what? And cleanse us from doing that again. Helping us get over this this idea that we have that, oh, well, you know, God's forgiven us so that I can keep doing it. No, 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 no. You you have to come to that place where you finally, finally, finally believe that it is wrong and it should no longer be a part of my life. And then I'm going to thank God that he has forgiven me of that. But then the third step is to is to really put yourself in a position and ask God and maybe some friends to help you to keep from this thing that you and God have both said is no longer something that you're going to be involved in. And so some people, they have a problem with alcohol. They actually join a group that's going to help them keep on the right path, right? I mean, the church should be a much better place than even that. And that's a great place, right? But there's all kinds of anonymous places, right, that we can join to be able to help us overcome some issue. You know, we've got anger management classes. We've got, you know, uh, all these. I, I could. There's so many I can't name them, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Well, see, the church is supposed to be that loving center where we are able, as the Bible said we read earlier, to gently restore one another. We're not going to do it out of anger because we all know that we've been there and we've done that and sometimes worse. And so we are to exude that love and compassion and embrace the mercy and embrace the fact that 
except for the grace of God, there we would go to, right? And so he, in love, with gentleness, a gentle spirit, just help us stay on the right path and do the things that we know we should do. And, and more than anything, that path is a path that encourages us, one another, to first and foremost love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all our mind, right? That's what we want for each other. For us to fall so deeply in love with God that we have that relationship so so much restored that we then feel the confidence, we feel the love, we feel the security, we feel all the things that we want and pursue and use money to do that and get that. But instead now we understand we are centered and secure in the love of God. And so we love each other in such a way to encourage each other to love and good deeds that come from that, right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you that um, you again and again and again want us to understand and know how much you love us. Um, Lord, from, from the historical perspective, we see how the Israelites uh, struggled with this concept. Uh, so much so that you finally gave them over to the consequences of their idolatry. God, um, reveal to us today for we have made an idol of something, whether it be money or what it can buy. Um, God, help us and forgive us um, when we do that. Set us back on the right path. Thank you, Lord, for this loving family of believers that are here to help one another. And so, God, if you bring something to our heart or mind today that we've invested too much of our energy uh, and too much of our our worship into uh, other than you, help us to, to see that and gently point that out to one another so that we can feel your forgiveness, your love, your restoration, and uh, that we can... Start to understand and feel the the security and the love that keeps us in a tight relationship with you. So God, we love you. We thank you. We, We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.